offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series. In the very outset, I wish you all a very happy, holy, and prosperous Sankranti. A happy Pongal to all of you. A happy, I don't know the many many names in which this beautiful festival is celebrated. It also marks the important event. Celebrated as the Uttarayanam, we will speak more about it today. In Swami's own words, every Sankranti. It also used to be the prize distribution ceremony of the annual sports and cultural meet. But even on that occasion, Swami would not miss the opportunity to remind us what this beautiful festival of Sankranti is supposed to stand for. And it is our good fortune that today we are going to be reading about the importance of the Uttarayanam, which Sankranti also stands for in Swami's own words, Swami is going to speak about the importance of that and we are precisely in that part of the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna speaks about the importance of this event, this astronomical event, but what it is meant to remind us of. And uh, we will also be completing the 8th chapter today of the Bhagavad Gita. We've been going through it for the past few months and so that's one more chapter down and uh, we will have four shlokas to complete that. I think time should be good enough to do that today. And as we've been doing in the past, we will also have a summary of that next week before we proceed to the next chapter. We covered two verses last time. I'll give you a brief of that. And in fact, the second verse was not completed. And that portion which is not completed is where Krishna speaks about Uttarayanam. So that we will take up today. In the 23rd verse, Krishna says, I will tell you about that time during which if the yogi starts this journey, there is return and during which time the journey does not have any return. And he says, I'm going to talk about those times. Krishna earlier spoke about what will be in the thoughts of the person when he is passing away and how that defines his journey. Then he went on to speak about some of the yogic stages or states in which a yogi who does not return after death passes away. Now he is saying specifically, I will tell you about the time. We discussed how this is related to the four categories that Swami explained. That of karma tita, nishkama karma, sakama karma and karma bhrashta. The path of return is taken by those practicing sakama karma and the path of no return that path which leads to the supreme state is taken by those practicing nishkama karma. The one who falls in the category of karma tita is a jnani who is liberated then and there. There is no discussion or topic of him traveling, him or her undertaking a journey. So the karma tita is not addressed here. And those who fall under the category of karma bhrashta, they do not take this upward journey. Again, that is something that we will very briefly touch upon because Karma Bhrashta is not addressed in this portion of the Gita. The path of no return is spoken of in the 24th verse, that which is embarked upon by those who practice Nishkama Karma. And he says that those that have pursued Brahman or the spiritual goal reach Brahman following this path, which is laid by the path of fire, light, day, the bright fortnight or the waxing phase of the moon and the period that is referred to as Uttarayanam, where the sun moves northward. We saw the various interpretations of these. Why fire? There is another angle to that. We will have a better understanding of that when we go through the next verse. But the remaining suggest that we are speaking of a time of the day, of the month, of the year which is related to brightness. When there is light during the day, when the moon is becoming brighter, when the sun is moving towards the north, where the days are becoming longer. So the reference is to a path of effulgence. This can also be seen as the path where these are the various realms ruled by the various deities who are referred to as Agni, Jyoti, Aha and so on. And these are all different lokas that the yogi passes through before reaching the supreme Brahma loka and merging in, going beyond that and merging in Brahman. 
we had discussed the validity of that interpretation too. It is not completely not related to what Krishna is saying here. There is a relation between what Krishna said in the beginning of the chapter and to this interpretation too. We discussed about that. Then we saw the inner significance of these statements, especially what Swami says about the passing away during the Shukla Paksha, where the moon is in the waxing phase, where it is growing from the new moon to the full moon. The bright half of the moon, Swami said, signifies the progress of the mind spiritually. The brightness for the night is defined by the brightness of the moon. Swami said, similarly, the brightness in human life is defined by the effulgence of the mind. The mind is the representative of the moon in this human experience. And Swami said that the full moon signifies the fullness of that achievement. Thus, the bright half, the Shukla Paksha, is the period when the mind is undergoing that progress. And we discussed how all of us are into this up and downs of the mind. On one day, we are very enthused to follow the spiritual path. There are phases in our life when we uh, seem to be a little lost. So, Yogi is one who is on this where his entire life has become this Shukla Paksha, where the mind is progressing towards that enlightenment and that is when the body is discarded and that's one of the meanings. Now coming to Uttarayanam. That was the word mentioned in the 24th verse that we didn't have time to go through and I said it was very interesting that we're taking it up today because though the Uttarayanam technically begins with the winter solstice, that is sometime in December, 23rd, 21st, I'm not too sure exactly. The Uttarayanam is specially celebrated on this day, Sankranti, because uh, the festival of Sankranti, which is also called Sankramana, it means the movement of the sun into a different zodiac sign. And it is called Makara Sankranti because it moves into the Makara Rashi, which is the Capricorn. And the sun being in this Zodiac house is considered very auspicious. So though the Uttarayanam actually begins a couple of weeks earlier, the Uttarayanam coinciding with Makara Sankranti is considered even more auspicious and that's why we celebrate Uttarayanam on this day rather than when the winter solstice happens. So this event is considered very auspicious. But the Uttarayana though is an astronomical event where the sun starts this northward journey in the sky. Again, we all know that the sun does not travel. The earth tilts to mark the beginning of summer. But traditionally, this half of the year, where in our skies it appears that the sun is moving northward, this phase of the year is considered very auspicious. Last week I made a mention about the character Bhishma, this great sage-like character in the Mahabharata who is right now standing on the other side of the battle lines, even as Krishna is delivering the Gita, he had a very interesting boon. He could choose when he wanted to die. He had the boon which was referred to as Ichamrityu. He could decide when he would give up his body and I think that is the context in which I made a mention. We cannot choose so specifically that I should die on a morning and I should die during the Shukla Paksha, during the Uttarayana. That is not the uh, message of this portion of the Gita. But then if you have Icha Mrityu like Bhishma, probably he can do that. Now this boon that he had is what made him, apart from his own uh, skills and valour, a formidable warrior. Duryodhana was counting on him because of this boon that he had. But finally the story goes that Bhishma, though not killed, is incapacitated by the arrows that are shot on him by Arjuna. So, though he doesn't die, he is no more able to take part in the battle and this happens on the 10th day of the battle and the epic states that Bhishma holds on to his life in spite of that excruciating pain for 58 long days so that he can give up his life during the Uttarayana. And this is one of the episodes that Swami would narrate quite often during his Sankranti discourses and speak of how special this naturally occurring event is. 
In fact, many times when Swami would give uh, jobs to his students who wanted to work in the ashram, Swami would make them wait till Uttarayanam and then Swami would say, okay, Uttarayanam has started, now you can join. So, certainly there is significance in considering the Uttarayanam literally too, right? And here Krishna is saying that a person who is embarking on the journey of no return begins it during the Uttarayanam. And Swami had clearly said that the yogis who perform Nishkama Karma pass away during the day when it is bright, when there is light, during the bright half of the month and the Uttarayanam. So it is not wrong in looking at it literally as well. But again, there is an inner meaning too, just like how we saw in the case of Shukla Paksha. And that meaning most certainly should not be overlooked. This is what Swami says in the Gita Vahini about the Uttarayanam. And I quote, and what of the Uttarayana, the six months during which the sun travels north? Be free from doubt on that score too. Worship offered knowing the meaning of every rite and spiritual disciplines, practiced knowing the implications of every step. These cleanse the heart more effectively and loosen the chains of doubt. The time of the northward path of the sun is the period when no dot of cloud or whiff of fog contaminates the vast dome and the sun shines in all his glory. This is the gross meaning, but there is a subtle one too. The heart is the inner sky. There, the sun that shines in intelligence, the sun that shines is intelligence, buddhi. When the clouds of ignorance, the fog of egotism, and the smoke of attachment hover in that inner sky. The sun of intelligence is hidden and things look murky and are mistaken. The time of the northward movement of the sun of the heart is when the inner sky is clear of all these and when the sun shines in full splendor. You must have heard the expression, the sun of wisdom, Jnana Bhaskara. The sun is always associated with wisdom and intelligence. When people pass away with this equipment of the effulgent sun of wisdom in their clear heart, they can certainly escape rebirth. They take the path of fire, Archiradi Marga, as said already, and merge in Brahman. End of quote. So Swami beautifully explains the inner meaning of, of the term Uttarayana. The clear skies during the Uttarayana phase is similar to the clear inner sky of a yogi where the clouds of doubt and ignorance have parted. And when there are no clouds in the sky, the sun shines unhindered during the summer months. And this is again an experience that happens outside of us, which we can observe. We observe it every year if we have taken the time to do that. The same experience has to be sought within, right? So, if you really look at it, even during the Dakshinayana, right? Even during the winter months, the sun is there, right? Meaning the wisdom is there even in the minds of those of us who are presently worldly. But it is hiding behind the clouds right now. Spirituality is nothing but that effort to make the sun shine more effulgently and have all these clouds blown away, isn't it? So Swami says, when we say the yogi passes away during the Uttarayana, it means he or she gives up the body when this Jnana Bhaskara, the sun of wisdom, occupies and shines in the inner sky, unhindered by these clouds of, as Swami said, egotism, jealousy, so on and so forth. So clearly this is a very interesting uh, shloka where it pertains to certain months and certain days of the month and certain times of the day which are considered auspicious. There's a beautiful correlation between all of this and how this understanding has grown, right? If you look at how primitive man came about with his wisdom, with his understanding, nature was his teacher, right? Whatever he had to learn, he had to learn by observing things around him. And eventually this understanding was made more and more subtle. This Vijnana became the inner knowledge, right? It became the knowledge of the self. And that is how the understanding has come. So there's the Uttarayana and Dakshinayana 
are examples of that where naturally occurring phenomena have inspired man to look within and try to see a parallel and become more spiritual in the process. So we will now go to the 25th verse. We have uh, the last four shlokas to complete. So we will go to the 25th verse. We'll listen to it. It's rendered beautifully in the voice of Brother Sham. I'll give you a brief meaning of that. Then we'll discuss in detail. षण्मासादक्षिणायनम् तत्र चांद्रमसंज्योति योगी प्राप्य निवर्तते smoke night as also the dark fortnight and the six months of the southern solstice following this path the yogi having reached the lunar light returns so that's the 25th verse of the 8th chapter this shloka is the contrast to the previous one the person who performs duties as karma yoga without an eye for benefits embarks on the path which was referred to as the archiradi marga where archi means fire and in that shloka krishna starts by saying it is laid by agni right another word for agni is archi so it is referred to as archiradi marga this path is called the path of smoke it is called dhumaadi marga because the first entity mentioned here is dhuma smoke and as we saw it is also called pitriyana the path of the pitrus krishna describes this path which is in right contrast to that of the devayana which was described in the previous shloka he says dhumaha smoke is the first entity there he had said agni and jyoti smoke has some association with fire as we all know it is born as a result of fire but it also ends up hiding the light of the fire right so the first entity he speaks of in the pitriyana is dhumaha then he says ratrihi night then in that shloka in contrast he had spoken about ahaha day so here it is ratrihi then he says krishnaha the dark fortnight there he had said shukla that is why this path is called krishna marga and that one is called shukla marga when we say krishna marga this does not mean the path shown by krishna it is the dark path right that is why it has to be seen as a contrast to the previous shloka and should not be looked at as stand alone could lead to confusion so here it is called krishna marga because this path is paved by the krishna paksha of the moon the waxing phase of the moon then he goes on to say shanmasaha dakshinayana the six months of the southern journey of the moon tatra there meaning on this path which was described through these entities yogi the yogi chandramasam jyotihi yogi chandramasam jyotihi prapya the yogi having attained the effulgence of the moon nivartate he returns chandramasam jyotihi he attains the brightness of the moon krishna says and that is why this path is spoken of as the path that leads to the chandra loka and the other one is spoken of as a path that leads to the surya loka here chandra loka is what is spoken of in most scriptures and cultures as heaven right heaven or swarga in the vedanta is referred to as chandra loka this is the only place where krishna says chandramasam jyotihi for this path is not something that is wrong or this is not the worst path right the devayana is a path for the karma yogis and the pitriyana is those that have performed duties as expected of them they've performed their duties diligently they have been essentially good people they have not harmed others they've not cheated others so for their goodness they do deserve a place in heaven they have earned it through their good actions but the point is vedanta is reminding us that there is something beyond that because even heaven is not a place of no return 
So Vedanta is trying to take us to a state that is beyond even what heaven is described as. So this shloka and the previous shloka speak of the two paths and show their contrast. Right There it was Agni, here it is Dhuma, there it was Ahaha day, here it was Ratri, there it was Shukla, the bright half of the month, here it was Krishna, the dark half of the month, there it was Uttarayana, the sun's northward journey, here it is Dakshinayana, the moon's southern journey. So similarly, both of these can be taken literally, both of these can be seen with their inner significance too. So whatever was seen as the inner significance of Shukla Marga and Uttarayana, the right opposite of that applies to what we speak of here as the Krishna Marga and Dakshinayana. We will go to the next verse. Krishna more or less summarizes what he has said in these two shlokas and after that we will discuss in detail about this section of the Gita. Shukla Krishna Gati Hete Jagata Shashvate Mate Ekayayatyana Vrittim Anyayavartate Punaha These two courses of the world, which are white and black, are verily considered eternal. By the one, a man goes to the state of non-return, by the other, he returns again. So that's the 26th verse of the 8th chapter. As I said, this is more or less Krishna summarizing the previous two shlokas. But there's one point that he makes here that is interesting. Krishna said in that shloka, Shukla Krishne Gati. These two paths of Shukla Gati and Krishna Gati, the bright path and the dark path, or the white path and the black path, hi ye te, these verily are Jagataha Shashvate Mate are considered eternal in this world. Ekya by one Yati Anavrittim man goes to the state of non-return Anyaya by the other Avartate Punaha he returns again. What is interesting in the shloka is what Krishna was calling both of them. He was saying that both these paths are eternal in this world. Shukla Krishna Gati Hi Yete Jagataha Shashvate Mate Both Krishna Gati and Shukla Gati are considered eternal. But why is the path of return also considered eternal? When you say the path leading to Brahman is eternal, you can agree with that. Why is the path that brings me back to this birth and death also is being called as eternal? Because this cycle is perpetual by nature. It will not come to an end by itself. One can get caught in the cycle for eternity if one is not giving up this illusion and coming out of it. It is precisely like what happens when you you know, kind of lose your way in a city. You are trying to get somewhere but you have lost your directions and sometimes you are going round and round the same place. right? Sometimes it would happen. So we keep going in circles and if we do not change course when caught up in a circle like that, the circle will be there forever. You will be going around that thing forever because the path is in a loop. So that which is in a loop is perpetual and when you are on that journey, you will never break from that unless you change course. Even if you are lost in a city like that, maybe until you run out of fuel, you will be in that and maybe then you will stop. But you don't even have that option when you are talking about life and death in this cycle of samsara. At some point, the yogi must stop and wonder, what is happening to me? I seem to be getting nowhere. There is something wrong in what I am doing. Krishna refers to both as yogi, the one who is on the path of no return and the person who is going up to Chandraloka or heaven and coming back and again going up to Chandraloka and coming back. Both of them are being referred to as yogis because at some point, this individual will stop and wonder. Krishna had said in uh, one of the previous chapters that the one who is living a good life, living a moral life, will eventually turn to me for fulfilling his or her desires, his or her wishes. And when that happens, this individual 
undergoes the transformation through the stages of artha arthati and then eventually becomes a jignasu meaning this person will start wondering what am i doing wrong i seem to be having a deja vu i i seem to have gone through these experiences before a sense of tedium sets in a tired boredom and then one becomes a karma yogi he or she does the same good deeds performs the same duties but with a completely different attitude right that is why both of them are referred to as yogis and these two paths are spoken of in even the most ancient scriptures like the rigveda right the rigveda describes these as the two destinies of a person who gives up the body and that is why in both pathways there is a reference to fire in the first one there was a reference to fire and light in the second one there was a reference to dhuma or smoke one speaks of agni and the other speaks of smoke the idea is it is suggesting that this journey is something that one embarks from the time the body is cremated or consigned to fire but swami makes a very interesting point in one of his discourses this body is called deha and swami says dahyate iti deha dahyate iti deha that which is burnt is called deha because swami says that this body is going to be burnt it is called deha though it is going to be burnt after the life leaves this body speaking of the, you know the burning process what happens when you burn a body it disintegrates right it decomposes so if, even though i mean if you say that no no in our culture we don't burn we bury the body there also the same disintegration happens in a more you know longer time frame right so when we talk about burning it literally does not mean the act of burning the act of this physical body returning to the elements so it is called deha because dahyati iti deha so in a more broader perspective it is disintegration of or the decomposition that happens swami after giving this definition for deha says but this body does not get burnt only after death even as we are alive the body is slowly getting burnt or undergoing decay the other name for the body is sharira sirayate iti sharira swami says that which is liable to decay is called sharira and this decay is happening even as we live we have discussed this in quite a bit of detail when we are going through the second chapter right so the sum and substance is though we speak of this as a journey that begins after death it is clearly a journey we are preparing for even while alive because the journey has already started the body is already burning and the other reason that krishna refers to both these set of people as yogis is because both have started an upward journey one goes up and comes down meaning goes to heaven or higher planes of existence briefly based on their good karma and then returns but one keeps going upwards till the point where there is no further place to go param gati but both have started on a journey that is upwards and those that are stuck in the dark form of selfishness who say i have to gain in this life no matter what even if i hurt others or cheat others it doesn't matter whom swami describes as karma bhrashtas their journey is not considered as an upward journey at all it is not even a journey of return or without return it doesn't matter it is not at all a journey upward that is why in indian scriptures whenever there is a reference to hell it is spoken of as being a realm below the earth because that is a downward journey and hell is also like chandraloka where a person suffers for a limited time till the sins are accounted for and then returns right but then that's a different topic we'll not get into that so before we move to the next verse let us uh, recollect these different names for these two paths one is the path of return the other is the path of non return both set of people who take these these paths are referred to as yogis and different names have been given so far we have come across so we will just quickly go through these names in case any of you are going through the other upanishads where some of these names are mentioned you will 
be able to correlate and you will be able to understand what is being spoken of so we will recollect them and we will recollect them in pairs where the first word is the path of no return anavrittim and the second is that cyclic path avrittim where you keep coming and going so the first set of terms that swami gave is devayana and pitrayana and the second is uttarayana and dakshinayana the third is urchiradi marga and dhumadi marga and the fourth is shukla marga and krishna marga and to this list in swami's gita vahini swami adds one more pair he says pingala nadi marga and idanadi marga so these are all the different pairs of names that are given to describe the same two paths which krishna describes in the shloka as being shashvata or eternal you are eternal as brahman or you are eternally caught up in this cycle of birth and death with a brief stay in heaven and back to birth and death right so both these paths are eternal if one has to break from this cyclical eternal path and reach the eternal journey then one must stop and have a change of course right without that this will be a perpetual cycle that's what it means by saying that even the path of birth and death is eternal we'll go to the 27th verse the second last verse of this chapter we'll listen to it and we'll discuss about that after i give you a brief meaning of this naite sruti partha janan योगी मुह्यति कश्चन तस्मात्सु कालेशु योगयुक्त भवाजुन ओ पार्था नो योगी हो सो एवर हैज नोन दीज टू कोर्सेस बिकम्स डेल्यूडेड देर फोर ओ अर्जुना may you be steadfast in yoga at all times that is the penultimate verse of the eighth chapter 27th verse so now we come to the last two shlokas of this chapter and we see krishna again asserting and pushing arjuna pushing each one of us to the spiritual path for a person to choose the right path he or she should be aware of the right and the wrong what should be done and what should not be done one should have knowledge of both sometime back we did have a discussion on this very theme where we would often see this pattern in vedanta where it will assert what is to be done it will also assert what must be completely avoided adi shankara would say brahma satyam jagan mitya you should not only know what is the truth but you should also know what is an illusion so that it can be completely dismissed brahman is the truth the world is mithya it is an illusion so both these knowledges together is what is referred to as jnana or wisdom in that spirit krishna states in the shloka janan knowing yete sruti these two paths partha o arjuna kaschan yogi any yogi so any yogi who is aware of these two paths that which takes one beyond and that which binds na muhyati he is not deluded so any spiritual aspirant who knows these paths is not deluded i think here na muhyate is not deluded is very specific only to the paths meaning the spiritual aspirant is not confused about the two it does not mean that if you understand these two paths all delusion will leave you only knowledge that removes the delusion is self knowledge knowledge about anything else is not good enough to remove delusion completely right only when there is perfect self knowledge all delusion goes so knowing the route to a place let's say i want to go to bangalore knowing the route to bangalore i am not in bangalore only when i travel on this path and reach the destination i am really in bangalore similarly knowing about these paths alone is not enough 
you will not be confused about the paths, right? When I know what is the path which will lead me to the destination and what is the path which will not lead me to the destination, I am clear about my direction. I am clear about the journey that I have to undertake. But the complete removal of delusion happens only when I take the path, travel on it and then reach the destination. But then there are pitfalls all through. That is how a yogi becomes a yoga bhrashta a point that we had discussed I think in the previous chapter where Krishna said that it does happen that even after taking onto the path you may get distracted you may not be able to fulfill it within the life not to be worried about that and that was one section of the Gita we came through so there are pitfalls even after you take to the right path there are distractions there are ways by which you can get lost but then not to be worried about that at the point of taking the journey you should not be worried about that Last week we spoke of how when Krishna says through the path of fire, day, shukla, paksha, uttarayana and so on it can also mean the various realms ruled by these various deities, right? Where each one of these is one step higher than the previous one. There are distractions in each one of these that have to be dismissed by this yogi who is a spiritual pilgrim. Every religion speaks about this concept of heaven. Even in Sanatan Dharma, there is a lot of importance given to this concept. There are many rituals, yagas and yagnas that are directed towards gaining a place in heaven. And even heaven is also described as a place where a very glorious image of heaven is often painted. You can be without worries, you can be without troubles, there is nothing to plague you like how you have on earth. There will be plenty there will be only beauty around you, there will be no aging, no suffering, right? These are the different descriptions that are given, not only in Indian scriptures. In scriptures of all cultures, there's a description of a state that is infinitely better than what we are experiencing in the world. But this seeking is also seeking for something outside. When I seek for luxuries, when I seek to have no pain, when I seek endless pleasure, all of this is a seeking that is leading me outward. Heaven as a concept is only an extension of the same seeking, right? Whatever I am seeking on earth, which is outside of me, I am looking at heaven as an infinitely better place for this same seeking, isn't it? Unless and until we seek absolute freedom, this seeking cannot end. We are only seeking freedom from that trouble that, are, that is bothering us in this earthly realm. When I am thinking of, when I go to heaven, I will not age at all. There are some aspects of aging in this realm that put a clamp on my freedom. Right? As I grow older, there are some things I cannot do. As I cross 50, 60, there are some things I cannot do. So in a way, it curtails my freedom. So when I am thinking of a state where or a realm where I will be ageless, I will be ever in my youth, I am looking for a freedom from this constriction. Similarly, when I have bad health, when I have a disability, that puts a certain clamp on my freedom. When I look for a state where there is no ill health, I am looking for a freedom in that, right? Same is the case with poverty. Poverty puts a clamp on our freedom. When we seek more money, we are looking for that freedom. This same seeking will lead us to the seeking of absolute freedom. And only when we seek this absolute freedom, there can be an end to this seeking at all. And for that, one must be clear which path is to be taken. There must be no confusion with regards to which path will lead us to that absolute freedom and there should be no second thoughts about that. Krishna concludes this shloka with a very beautiful and very Profound advice, a recurring advice to Arjuna. He says, Tasmat, therefore, Sarveshu Kaleshu, at all times, Yoga Yuktaha Bhava, be steadfast in yoga, O Arjuna. Tasmat, Sarveshu Kaleshu, Yoga Yuktaha Bhava, Arjuna. Knowing which path leads to freedom and which one leads to bondage, be a Yoga Yukta be one who is committed to that knowledge. This is what I said, it is not enough to know the paths, but to take the path and be committed to that path. You should 
have knowledge of which path leads me to the destination and i should also show commitment to that path that is what krishna defines here as be a yoga yukta be committed to that knowledge that you have the previous line he said those who know which path leads to which is not deluded and with this clarity commit yourself and become a yoga yukta right be a seeker of that ultimate and he is exhorting not only arjuna he is exhorting each one of us he says be committed to that go about doing your duty as a warrior that is arjuna duty as whatever we are doing but with the commitment to this knowledge if you recall in the second shloka of the sixth chapter krishna had made this very beautiful statement he had said tapasvi bhyo adhiko yogi jnanibhyo api mato adhikah karmibhyas chadiko yogi tasmat yogi bhava arjuna a yogi is higher than men of austerity he is considered higher even than men of knowledge the yogi is also higher than men of action therefore o arjuna do become a yogi right a very similar advice is being given here he says yogi yoga yukto bhava arjuna but the same thing what was said in this particular verse the 46th verse of the 6th chapter krishna is going to in a certain sense rephrase it in line with the topic that has been discussed in this part of the gita we'll probably listen to the shloka the last shloka of this chapter the 28th shloka and then we will speak about the importance of what krishna said in that verse in the 6th chapter and what he is saying in these two verses of the 8th chapter too so this is the last verse the 28th verse of the 8th chapter vedeshu yagneshu tapassu chaiva daneshu yat punya phalam pradishtam atyeti tat sarvam idam viditva yogi param sthanam upaiti chadyam having known this the yogi transcends all those results of righteous deeds that are declared with regard to the vedas sacrifices austerities and also charities and he reaches the primordial supreme state so that's the last verse of the 8th chapter this shloka again is a beautiful summary of this entire section of the gita it is an exhortation to look beyond the temptations in the world and beyond the temptations that are beyond this world too but given in a form of description of someone who has transcended all this krishna says here yat punya phalam whatever fruit of merit pradishtam is declared vedeshu in the vedas or with regard to the study of vedas yagneshu in sacrifices tapasu in austerities cha eva dhaneshu and also charity atyeti one goes beyond tat sarvam idam viditva having known all this this is a reference to whatever krishna has been explaining in this chapter starting from understanding of what is adhyatma what is adidaiva and so on till this point what he said as the knowledge of the two parts of archiradi marga and dhumadi marga or the devayana and the pitriyana all of this tat sarvam idam viditva having known all this the person who knows that all merits that one gets by all these means that is the study of scriptures the performance of yagnas and austerities the doing of charity he transcends all this because of the knowledge that he has of whatever krishna has been speaking of in this entire chapter we talk of charity it refers even to seva because charity of wealth is dana charity of time is seva right we call it shramdan when you offer your time and energy it becomes seva so there is merit to be got through all of this when you study the scriptures there is merit in it when you perform yagas and yagnas there are merits in it when you do dhana when you do tapas all of that has merits but a true yogi is one who looks beyond all of these merits that's why i said this is a slightly different way of saying what krishna said in the previous one a yogi is higher than men of austerity he is considered even higher than men of knowledge 
for scholars a yogi is considered higher than men of action a yogi is one who looks at all these options that are lying in front of him or her and he says no i want to go beyond this i don't want this right so he says what happens to such a yogi tat sarvam idam viditva having known all this yogi param sthanam upaiti the yogi attains the supreme state cha adyam and that state is the primordial state the yogi is one who knows that all merits that one gets by all these means the study of the scriptures the performance of yagyas and yagas and charity all this certainly will bring merits but a true yogi is one who knows that even merits bind even punyas bind not only papa even punya binds knowing this well the yogi strives to go beyond all this right and as we had seen in this chapter going to any of the higher lokas is only like going to a subtler state of manifestation but reaching the lord is reaching that primordial state of param avyakta the supreme unmanifest and that's what krishna says here the yogi reaches the state of param sthanam the supreme state adyam it is also the primordial state where there is no manifestation at all and in a way it is so very apt that we are discussing this portion of the gita during this festival of sankranti right if you were to go back and go through swami's sankranti discourses swami would keep reminding us that this is the central message of the sankranti festival even if you read today's thought for the day today's science by his message swami says this very thing in south india we also refer to this festival as pongal right in tamil we refer to it as pongal swami explains in that quote he says pongal means the overflowing of milk it means that the heart should overflow with delight at this opportunity to turn godward that is what this festival is reminding us every year this festival comes reminding us of that uttarayana right these two paths in every step of our life there are two paths in front of us and sankranti is a festival that reminds us of that path of uttarayana that is there lying ahead of us the uttarayana that happens in the sky is an invitation to each one of us to begin our own uttarayana it is an invitation to look beyond what we can earn in this world and what we can earn even beyond this world in this world as we had discussed a few weeks back whatever you seek will come to you right that's the nature of this world be it prosperity power pleasure luxury comfort relationships what you seek will come to you if not today if not tomorrow some day it will come to you because each one of us attract whatever we want through our desires but the nature of everything in this world is that it will come and go swami would say that is why this world is called jagat ja gat swami would say it all comes and it goes so everything that is sought in this world will come but it will also go because that is the nature of things in this world in the pursuit of these things we are capable of committing mistakes and sins right that's what happens to many of us we are so lost in that passion for what we want we overlook what is right what is wrong are we stepping on somebody's toe in my hurry to get ahead right mistakes will happen when there is such attachment to anything that needs to be got in this world that is why every religious scripture has created this concept of heaven right there is always this idea of you know be good there is a possibility that you may not be rewarded in this world but you will be rewarded in some other world right that concept of heaven that concept of your good actions being counted as merit which for which you will be rewarded in heaven that concept ensures that even when i am pursuing something in this world i do not commit mistakes but what krishna is reminding us here is even that heaven is also part of this jagat jagat even a place in heaven will come and go so look beyond that look at the lord look for the lord 
we may every now and then be you know filled with this doubt swami am i capable of this i'm personally filled with this doubt quite often you know week after week when we go through the bhagavad gita it sometimes feels like standing in front of the mirror and the mirror is reminding us how far i am from what swami expects of each one of us right these are all instructions when you go through it and when you look at yourself you're wondering swami are these instructions for me because i seem to be totally incapable of what you're expecting of me swami says in the gita vahini in this portion where he is discussing this part swami says and i quote there is no need to doubt whether such a stage is within the reach of all whether all can achieve this victory nor is any special effort peculiar fortune or specially designed act necessary it is enough if the mind is always fixed on the highest atma if the lord is meditated upon without break that will cleanse the mind and the delusion that clogs it will disappear this by itself comprises liberation for what is moksha but mohakshaya the destruction of delusion a person who has achieved this destruction of delusion will attain the stage of brahman howsoever death may come such a person is called a spiritually wise one a gnani end of quote yes it is indeed within the reach of each one of us forget about how to die when to die and such things they are truly beyond us right but dedicating every moment every activity every duty to him that lies in our ability right now and that's why swami says it doesn't matter howsoever death comes such a person will definitely come and reach me right so let us hold dear to this message as our sankranti message as krishna said tasmat sarveshu kaleshu yoga yuktah bhava therefore at all times be a yoga yukta let us resolve to not be attached to this world not to be attached to our merits and not to be attached even to heaven let us pray that swami may i be only attached to you and you alone let this be our prayer and let this be our guiding light for this journey you know whatever it is uttarayana dakshinayana whatever it is having known swami having come to his fold let us resolve that we will look beyond what this world can offer that dear listeners i conclude this week's episode and i once again wish you all a very very happy holy and truly purposeful sankranti that leads us on that uttarayana leading to swami with that we complete the eighth chapter we'll uh, as i said take up a summary of the eighth chapter next week when we meet as part of the next episode of the gita series till i meet you all next week for the next episode of the gita series take care keep safe jai sai ram